got her cremated. The crematorium was like, oh, your your mom's not going to be cremated on Sunday. Um, She's going to be done on Monday. I'm like, so y'all are going to go out for a barbecue, but you can't barbecue my mom. What the hell? What's shaking? Welcome back to All In with Rick Jordan. I am taking a bit of a different tone today because you know that I'm usually extremely energetic and upbeat, which I still am right now. And this is going to be something I'm going to ask right away because I think it's going to hit a lot of people in their hearts and just really help you through some difficult times. So I'm going to ask you right now, share this with one person you know who is going through a difficult time. I don't think that's something I've ever even asked at the beginning of a show before. And that's how much I believe in what I'm going to be talking about today with my guest, Shiggy. Hey, what's shaking? Hi. Hey, uh, not, not much. You know, lockdown's a thing, but here we go. Here we go. You ready to dive in? I am. I'm ready to go all I am. in. It, I am. Today, Let's go. Today we're talking about a lot of interesting things. And first off, I mean, your photo is just badass. I'm just going to say that's fantastic. Thank uh, you. It's interesting because, I mean, you, you look like somebody in your photo and even just looking at you right now who is, you've seen some things, you've been through some things. And it <laughs> shows that because it's like you're you're hardened, not in a bad way, not in a bad way at all. It means that you've gone through some crap and you've come out the other end with a greater understanding. That's how I see that when I described hardened because some people would be callous. But what you've gone through was your mother's suicide. Mm-hmm. And let's just, let's just start there. Is that cool? Cause I mean, then we yeah. can get into how your childhood shaped your life, you know, more about yourself, but this is, I think what a lot of people need to hear. And this is why I said, let's just start recording when we were talking pre-show <laughs> yeah. is it this year with COVID, you know, it, there's been almost like a cap on bereavement, almost like a cap on grieving. And I know people have died from the virus or anything else, but suicide rates are up so much this year too, because of just the heaviness and the darkness that's Mm -hmm. overshadowing all of this because of everything that's going on and people are depressed and then it leads to suicide. And these individuals that, you know, maybe they have a suicide attempt because I know that even my mother with her husband who had a stroke, she couldn't even be in the hospital with him. So imagine somebody trying to take their own life and you can't even be there to comfort them to get them through that, whether they're going to be saved or not. That's the mm-hmm. that's why I think this is so important. And I'm really grateful to have you. But thank you first. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, I didn't think that this year was going to be, you know, uh, weirdly my year of talking about my mother's suicide so much. But um, like you're saying, with this year and, and how isolated it is, you know, we're all digitally connected, but we are probably the most isolated we've been in a very long time. Um, I think it's important for people to be able to kind of understand what that isolation means, what people go through. Um, Cause even though my mom completed hers, I've attempted three times. Um, and I know I'm not safe, but from, you know, what, what I'm going to jump into, um, there are things that you as an individual going through it and you as a person supporting someone else or, you know, kind of having to deal with the, 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 the wave after someone, you know, departing from this world, um, there needs to be more conversations about it. And I'm, I'm really thankful that I have the opportunity to do this. So thank you for, you know, giving me the ability to just carry on with my second wave of my crusade. (laughs) That's pretty fantastic. And we'll get into your, your bereavement too, but does this help? Does talking about it help you? It does. It does. So, um, weirdly, I actually started my own podcast getting shiggy with, um, because of my mother's suicide. And I've been in talk therapy since the age of 18 and I'm in my early thirties now. And, after that, I like looked, I couldn't, I couldn't afford therapy because my therapist is brilliant, but also has a price tag to go with that brilliance. Sure. Um, as much as I love my friends, I can out psychotherapize all of them because I've been in counseling and, and, you know, all of that for so long. Like if people say things, I'm like, I know what you're doing and I don't like it, you know? So 
I figured if I just talked about it and just kind of got all my thoughts out of my head and just kind of put it out there, one, I'm getting it out of my head. Two, I could help at least one person. And that's all I wanted to do with my podcast. And it's kind of paused now because like lockdown just kind of fried me <laughs> to do my own podcast. <laughs> it's fried a lot of people. Yeah. And that's why we're having the conversation too. Exactly. So yeah, talking definitely, definitely helps. And, you know, now having um, people to more or less bounce off of, cause you know, you have your perspective, you have your experiences that I haven't had. So when you get to ask me those questions, I get to kind of think of my situation and then, you know, kind of put it in that perspective, just, just a little bit of a degree turn, which I think is really good. I love that. I, I, that's really what we're about. And that's why I love the open dialogue, even with things that have happened this year is perspective is everything. And entertaining the perspectives of somebody else really kind of just caps that off and allows the conversation to go in a positive direction. Exactly. That's a, I'm excited. So that before we dive into how you got to this point, you know, me meeting with your mother's suicide, there's some things you've gone through that have been almost kind of traumatic in your life too. You know, yes. you were in boarding school, right? In Kenya when your mom left uh -huh. America. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna expand on it just because it all kind of flows into each other. So I, uh, I went. Uh, my my parents carted me off to boarding school. You know, um, at the age of fourteen, um, mainly just because my family had broken up. Like my dad was seeing someone else, and I discovered it, um, which is always the most awkward thing to kind of say. It's like, yeah, so locked things in the family house was not a done thing because I had, I have only child syndrome even though I'm a child of like nine different kids, but, um, across five different families. But in my situation, in my personal situation, my mom understood that if there's something locked in the house, I will unlock it. Hmm. Right. I will find a way. And usually it involves <laughs> like paper clips. I'm, you were that I, was, kid. Yeah. <laughs> I was that kid. It's like the world revolves around me. That's great. If I do not have access against something, I will get access. I will not even ask for it. I will just do it. So I did and discovered photos of my dad with someone else. And um, for the longest time, I blamed myself for that whole situation. A, discovering it. B, showing my mom. C, the fight that my mom had with this woman um, at the place my dad and my, my younger brother were at and me having to take photos of it. Right. And my mom is the same height as me. We're like, we're five foot five. Um, and this woman was like six foot three. So it was like a David and Goliath situation, but my mom was a bodybuilder. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> you're, like, I'm a, what, what was, I was like 12 and I'm just like in the ladies changing rooms and my mom found this woman and they're shouting and my mom's like, take pictures. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh my God. I'm taking pictures of David and Goliath. Right. But it's not, it's, it's like Davina and, and, uh, Gabriella fighting. Right. It's just, it's mental. But so, so that was kind of like the, the start of the open explosion of the end of my family as it were. Um, and then it reached a point, basically my mom opted to go move to the States, uh, to make a better life for me and my younger brother. With that, I was kind of acting out as a 12, 13 year old would do. Um, and just, just being a bit of a tearaway in Kenya, basically. Um, at the time I was already in a weekly boarding school, um, for secondary school. And my parents agreed, the few things they agreed on, uh, was to send me to boarding school in the UK so I could carry on with my British education. And then my dad's thing was because I was a bit of a tearaway, um, you know, just going out and getting drunk and, and you know, not, the only thing I did was just get drunk. That was it. And dance, get drunk and dance, which I still do today. So well, it can be fun true. things. It's a fun thing. <laughs> I enjoyed myself, but my dad would pick me up in the evenings, which was like, okay. I was like, well, if you're going to get drunk, I much prefer you come home. And I, I see you come home. I'm like, okay, that's fair. But yeah, so they carted me off into a boarding school in the middle of nowhere. So my dad was like, your boarding school, your school has to be two and a half hours away from London. And I'm like, mm. Well, that kind of scarpers all my plans of, you know, going out in London, um, which obviously was was why he said two and a half hours. Um, so I was carted off to an all-girls school, one, and it was Church of England, even though I was raised Jewish-ish because my, my dad's Jewish, my mom converted, and I was, was taken to the synagogue and, you know, just weird. Wow. As you do. <laughs> um, I think, I think it's, it's, it's actually important to add that my father, my stepfather, who's the only father I've, I've known from the age of two, 
is was because he passed away uh, quite recently actually um a holocaust survivor as well Goodness. so um a very hardened background this is why i kind of decided to start a little bit before you know me being carted away to boarding school so my mom ex-bodybuilder uh post-colonial kenya just getting its independence in 1963 1960 i think um and my mom was born just before that so you know just Kenya's new independence, and then my dad, who's a Holocaust survivor. So I've got that as a background. Two very hard talk about that? Uh, I I vaguely remember asking him questions about it, and he didn't really say much. Um, I think I was maybe nine or ten, and and the his first family did a whole kind of birthday celebration where there was pictures of him when he was in the army because he was in the Israeli army when they had the war for independence. Um, he was part of that. And, uh, if you, like, yeah, if you do a Google search, um, you know, for him as a, a Holocaust survivor from Kenya and he was the last Holocaust survivor in Kenya, there are little stories that he recalls from, you know, when he was being looked after by a Dutch family and, uh, you know, different Jewish individuals and families would be kind of coming through and he'd help them. And like, just, he recalls a little bit, but he does it from a, I suppose, official point of view as opposed to you know personal where your family members um would reflect upon it so unfortunately i never really got to kind of understand that but like you see with me i saw with him he was he was a very chilled person right very kind of ruled with an iron fist but an iron fist with love <laughs> um where he was like firm but fair but never raised his voice never shouted never did any of that that was my mum. So I had, you know, a rock and a fire kind of uh, yeah, parental yeah. setup. So yeah, with, with everything kind of um, breaking down, my, both my parents decided to send me to boarding school. So it was an all girls boarding school, Church of England boarding school. And I was the only black child out of 650 personnel in that, in that school as well. Wow. So wow. yeah, it was, um, it was weird because I didn't really see it, if that makes sense. Um, it was like, okay, I'm black, half my family's white and they're Israeli and, not, and like, they're cool. So you guys are not Israeli. You guys are actually way easier to deal with. Um, you know, <laughs> no, it, it, the Brits are easier to deal with than Israelis. Yeah, <laughs> they, they are. They're, like any, anyone, yeah. anyone, you know, Dutch, Israeli, French, Italian, whatever, like everyone else has this very, uh, I suppose passionate existence, yeah. right? And I'm not trying to say British people don't have a, a passionate existence. They have a very keep calm and carry on existence, which is, you know, dull the emotions and just get things done. Oh, sure. The English channel is almost like this emotional divider between old world Europe and yeah, this cool, calm and collected English body that's there. It even translates into the food that they eat, right? Because there's next to no flavor <laughs> in it whatsoever. Right? <laughs> the Brits don't it's know true. the meaning of the word spice. I'm just saying. <laughs> Salt and pepper. Yeah, Ooh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, having, having a background, having a Kenyan background and this Dutch-Israeli background meant, you know, coming to this, this essentially all-white school. I think there were... A handful of black mixed race kids, two black mixed race kids in my class, and I think there was a couple of new lower ones, um, a few Chinese students and no South Asian students at all, or like, you know, Indian kind of students. Um, sort of diversity was lacking. And um, I think that's where most of my kind of armor developed. Um, because I was alone. I was more than 4,000 miles away from anyone. I had no family in the UK that I knew of. Um, eventually when I did know a family, I didn't particularly like them because I'm like, you're using me to get at my parents and I don't really like that. So I'm just not going to contact you. Um, and whilst I did have friends, it was always a little bit weird. Um, cause we didn't really have anything in common. I'd always talk about Kenya. They talk about Dorchester or, you know, some beach with pebbles and i'm like that's not a beach that's a that's a river like why do you have a beach with pebbles you know which it still blows my mind to this day i go down to brighton and there's pebbles and i'm sat on this going this is not a beach 
Yeah, no kidding. That's interesting. <laughs> different perspective there. It's that island. Here. Very, very, very different. But I, you know, I appreciate it. I, everyone was really, really, um, I, I don't want to say endearing. Maybe one was endearing, but like everyone was cool. Like I, I never faced any form of racism, um, mainly because my mother raised me not to acknowledge it, which is, um, a slightly different way to kind of deal with racism. Interesting. Um, I saw a clip yeah. about, you know who Morgan Freeman is? Right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the guy's an amazing actor. He's in one of my top five. And I, I saw an interview of him. It was just a one simple question. I might've seen this on social media, but I'm curious on your perspective because of what you're describing as your mother. He was asked, how do we solve the problem of racism? And he had a very simple answer. He goes, stop talking about it. You know, meaning don't even acknowledge it because I mean, the premise was similar to what you're saying, I think, is that if you don't talk about it, if you don't acknowledge it, then it's almost as saying it's, it shouldn't even be a thing and it's not a thing. So I'm just going to get past it. Mm. It's, um, I've, I've seen the video clip and I've discussed it at length with friends, um, at the pub as well. And it's a and great place a to have conversation. Yeah. It is, especially when it's discourse and yes. not agreeable conversations. <laughs> but, whiskey um, evens out the playing field quite well. Oh, whiskey's great. I do love a single malt, but that, that's a whole other conversation. You're amazing. Um, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I will send you one. I need to find one first. But um, yeah. So, Anything from so, the Highlands, please. Thank you. Talisker? Oh, yeah, Talisker, yeah. Okay. Or McAllen Done. Done. or Balvini or, yeah, or uh, Cragenmore for sure. I have contacts. Okay. Yeah. We're going to keep on talking. Oh, yep. Anyway, right. <laughs> so um, with regards to Morgan Freeman's kind of look at, at racism, I, I agree and disagree because um, my whole thing is with everything, even like the George Floyd situation is nuance. Right, we have all these kind of sound bites that we love because they're really sexy, but all these things are so generalized that they just brush everything with the same outlook, which I think is really wrong. So when it comes to racism, um, I feel that someone's skin color is part of a bigger spectrum of prejudice, right? And with that prejudice, it comes from being uh, undereducated. Uh, it comes from being associated with bad people. Um, it comes from limited life experiences. You know, there's so many different factions that make a person behave a certain way. Right. And, um, my mom never, ever even entertained the idea of because of your skin color, this is why you don't get things. You know, never, never had it. Never. No one in my family had it. And I think having a family that was, is, um, involved in the higher level, like the governmental level of, of, of Kenya, um, no, no one, we we're all way too proud <laughs> to acknowledge yeah. anything like that. Um, That's because fantastic. when I go back home, I, black people call me a foreigner when I go home, which is true. I can't speak Swahili to save my life. And I sound more English than anything else. Fine. You know, that's your experience of me. And I can't tell you you're wrong because I, it's true. Right. Um, I actually face more racism from black people than I do white people. Right. And it's because of the way I speak. Right. So I, I get called a coconut. First time I went to university in this country, I had people from the Afro-Caribbean society call me a coconut. And I'm like, I love coconuts. They're great. And a friend of mine was just like, mate, <laughs> I had no idea. And they're like, oh, it's a slur. And I'm like, I'm not green. What the hell? Because like, <laughs> they're green, right? Yeah. The young coconuts, the delicious ones are green. And then they get older and then like you scrape them and chuck in them rice. It's delicious. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's because you're brown on the outside and you're white on the inside. And I'm like, wow, that's what? I mean, okay, fine. Maybe I am. But just because I speak better than you doesn't mean I'm a freaking coconut. There I just you went, yep. you, know, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, so I didn't see the, I, I, I can't see the racism because it doesn't make sense. Like I have a hairless cat. Okay. And then someone has a black, black, there we go. Someone has a black cat and, you know, like just the look of something shouldn't be the basis of 
um, your opinions on on something. Unless like you go talk to you go talk to a black person, and that black person's horrible to you, then you're like, that is one horrible black person. That one person. That's it. Not all black people are the same. Yeah. You know? yeah. So nuance. I, I got a little bit excited. I'm going to move my microphone no, away from my no, hands. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's good though, because you bring up the George Floyd scenario, and I mean, we're going a, a little bit on a tangent too. But mm -hmm. it, would that be the same thing as saying, you know, that's that's one bad cop? It's not. So that is deeper. That is way, 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 way deeper. Um, because it it is, you know, it's it's an American phenomenon that actually also happens, you know, all over the place. Um, but that's more systemic racism. So that kind of deals with the uh, I suppose corporation of police, you know, the business of police, the way it was set up, why it was set up. Um, I've had a discussion with with a couple of friends about this as well, and he's from the states, but he lives here. And interestingly enough, when it comes to that form of racism, America has a longer history of it than the UK does, right? Um, just because the way racism and slavery kind of um, happened in the UK, like slavery didn't happen on the island; they did it everywhere else, so that all those prod products could be brought to the island. Yeah, right? it didn't, didn't exist didn't, on the island. Yeah, it, it's tiny. Like England's yeah. tiny. You're not going to bring everyone from India and from the whole, well, most of Africa, a large percentage of Africa, because France actually has a large percentage. Um, you know, from wherever. You're not going to bring everyone to an island. Whereas in America, that's what they did. They're like, we need humans to to do this, to do that, to do all this physical labor for us to build a new world. All right. So they pulled people there. As a result, there were people on the ground and there were problems, you know, perceived just throughout the hundreds of years that that they've kind of gone through it. So when police kind of became a thing over there, you have the systems where they needed to keep divisions, you know, keep people in certain sectors, keep them at bay, keep, you know, the black people at a very, very low level, you know, keep other people kind of thinking that they're slightly better than the black people. So they police over the black people feeling that they're superior. Like, you know, all these class systems start from a very, very early stage. And now I think it's great that, that there is a huge conversation going towards it needs a shakeup just because that's the way it was done doesn't mean that's the way it should keep on going. You know, you have to look at things. You have to look at if someone's going to pull a gun out, they need to be really, really sure that they want to shoot because if they shoot, there are repercussions. Not you're, you're a police officer and you can shoot people and say self-defense. No, you get the same problems as everyone else who shoots a gun does. You know, so that kind of absolving of responsibility, I feel, is a massive issue and systemic racism. And I'm now going to step off that soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel it's the first of many on this, <laughs> this episode. And that's good. The, conver the conversation where it's going, I, I do enjoy this because it's a very intelligent, mature conversation. And it's just analyzing things for the way that they are. And that's what I really like about that. You're right, because it, and it's interesting to me how really racism existed in England, but it didn't exist in England hundreds of years ago because it was almost kind of out of sight, out of mind. You know, nobody that was really part of that class of individuals, and I'm talking white Brits, you know, really knew for the most part, unless you were involved and had slaves working elsewhere in the world in different countries, you really didn't see that it even existed at that point in time until you came over here if you if you immigrated to the US you know part of the original colonies whatever and then everything just kind of coalesced in the same spot here and so everything that existed all over the world literally ended up in one plot of land a large plot of land but still the same plot of land and now everything became visible so even though it still existed that's intriguing to me because even though it existed the same way in England hundreds of years ago it just was not visible to anybody until it came over here. And then, of course, throughout the course of history, of course, Abraham Lincoln, the Emancipation Proclamation, and everything that he did for this great country, that was the start of something then. But the mentality, you know, it has just mind-boggled me that it's continued several hundreds of years past that point, even though slavery was abolished back in the mid-1800s, it's still, there's still this concept of classes, as you say, 
and the classes and that, that's another thing even with COVID and everything else but with systemic racism and the how government puts people into classes even essential versus non-essential i feel is classification of human beings dictating whether they're essential or non-essential it's it's along the same principles and saying you are worth more or you are worth less than somebody else yeah that's yeah, systemic that's it is. It's mad, you know, and, and that kind of feeds into intrinsic racism as well. But, you know, that's 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 a whole thing, um, which, again, I kind of I, I, I put it out there, the idea of learning things. You know, when you're a child, your parents basically help form your world, you know, and even if your parents don't say anything, you know, if your mother goes by and she's holding your hand and every time a, a darker person walks by her and she clutches her hand and she squeezes your hand a little tighter, you know, and she does every time, not just once, every freaking time, you're going to download that as a child. And when you grow up, you're going to be like, oh, a dark person. Oh, I don't, I don't like you. I don't know why I don't like you, but I don't like you. It's because your mom told you, you know, you downloaded that. So yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And Change is slowly happening, but it's, it's going to take a long time. Of course it will. Uh, I don't see it. Yeah, so. it, it, it does take a lot of time to change society. You can make a, you can change the law today. You can get everybody on board and pass new legislation, you know, or whatever in the rest of the world, but it still takes, geez, decades, if not a century to make real progressive change. And that's, uh, but it takes that spark, right? Yeah. That yeah. has and to happen this first. Year. Yeah, we sure have had it this year. And I thank God that we've had a lot of sparks this year because there's a lot of things. The thing that sucks, though, I, I feel is that there's been a lot of different issues that have really risen to the top at the same time. And it's almost been like like shitstorm overload you know, for a lot of people <laughs> this year. <laughs> but but re really, because that's a, you know, we've been forced to deal with so many things in just the, the span of maybe 300 days. That's it. And it's really weighed heavily on a lot of people, you know, like we started depression is up and then suicide is way up too. And you were 14 when you went to boarding school. When was it that your mother committed suicide? So, yeah, um, 14 in England and then, you know, years and, and whatever went by and I've been in, in the UK on my own for so long. Um, she shot, she killed herself. Fuck it, I'm going to say it. she shot herself in the head, right? That's how she went. She completed suicide by shooting herself in the head. Um, and I learned that she actually learned how to do it properly without leaving a complete and utter scene from Dexter um, as a result. If you've not watched Dexter, Dexter is just very gory. <laughs> whilst having an, a, a, a lighter kind of like subject always around it. Like, you know, it's like a rom-com. Rom so if I'm hearing you right, you're saying blood. that she researched this. Yeah, before yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing it. she did. She did. Um, this so she only took like her... a, a spur of the moment emotional distress oh, thing. This was... It was, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't. Okay. So this is, this is the, this is the weird thing. Cause I, I only discovered this when I was over there and, uh, my uncle kind of explained to me something that I didn't realize until, you know, we were sat down and chatting. So she shot herself on the 6th of May, uh, 2019. So it's only been a year and seven months, eight months yeah, or something. Yeah. I don't know. So, um, yeah, she, she did it on Monday, the 6th of May at 10 28 AM in Georgia, in America. Um, and I only know that because uh, in the next 72 hours, after screaming so loud, I have never screamed so loud in my life because um, I just finished watching Avengers with my partner at the time and we were sat in the pub discussing Thanos' theory on perfect balance and if the world needed to have 50% eradicated, you know, light stuff. Also for, a great for a conversation pub. for the pub, yes, yes. <laughs> um, you know, just discussing that and... Um, on my phone, like my dad, I've I mentioned he's a Holocaust survivor, so he's 92 at the yeah. time, rings me through Facebook Messenger. And I'm like, you should not be able to do that. Why are you doing, like, if you're, if yeah, you're no reaching kidding. out to me like huh. that, something is wrong. You know, like if it, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I need to take this. So I go outside of the pub and I pick up and my uh, stepsister 
yeah, the eldest stepsister, who's a year older than my mom, um, she's on the phone speaking in broken English because she speaks um, Hebrew. She doesn't really speak English. And she's like, Shiggy, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm like, is our dad alive? And she's like, yeah, 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 he's fine. And then he's shouting in the background going, no, no, have you told her? Have you told her? Come on. You know, and then he starts like blathering on in, in Hebrew and she replies in Hebrew and then she comes back. Um, and basically she just, she stutters and stammers through it. And I'm just like freaking out, kind of going, well, if he's not dead, then why are you guys calling me? Cause like, we don't talk at all. Um, and then she's like, oh, your mother passed away. Uh, oh, sorry. Your mother died. Not she, no, no gentleness about it. She, your mother died. She's dead. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I've mentally prepared myself for, uh, food poisoning, choking, uh, hanging, um, slit wrists, uh, I, I mentally prepared myself for everything. Cause she, you know, our relationship was pretty strained by this point. Um, and why did your mind go uh, straight to that? Almost like, I mean, it's like you knew that it was suicide. If they say your mother's dead, why did you, why did your brain go straight to suicide right away? Uh, I don't know. I kind of felt, I, 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 that's a really good question. No one's ever asked me huh. that before. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, <laughs> at least we can keep it light, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, let's, 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 know, right? let's take the roller coaster. It's great. No, yeah. that's a really good question. I think uh, probably because I'm her daughter and like, I, I don't think I would allow myself to die from something else. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> Cause I mean, one thing like, between... like encompasses you. So that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But... Yeah. Well, like, so here's an interesting thing. My grandmother had her chest completely trampled on by one of our farm bulls. Um, I must've been six years old or whatever. And she was in an iron lung, you know, one of the ventilator things and her entire rib, rib cage cra uh, crushed. She survived full recovery. Um, and then she cracked her head on a bathtub, had a full brain um, swelling. Her brain uh, swelled up and everything. She was in ICU for ages, made a partial recovery, decided when she wanted to die. Eight months later, she's like, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going to sleep. And that was it. So that's my grandmother. My mother had a car crash where the, tr the car wrapped around the tree. And I'm not talking just like the front, I'm like the whole thing literally was giving the tree a hug. My mom technically should have been dead. I still remember the photos of the car. It was a Volvo, obviously, um, where the driver's section was literally, you probably had like five centimeters of space basically. But because the car that my mom specifically bought, cause she worked in the auto industry at the time, she bought one where the engine, instead of it shunting backwards, would drop down, right? There's a terminology for it that's completely just pooped out of my head, but like it drops down. So when you do get that buckle into the A-frame, there's actually a bubble of space by the driver. And that's where she, she was like crammed in there. And she just had like, you know, a couple of bruises and that from completely hugging the tree. It's like so, a crumple zone or something like that, isn't it? It's like, correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, a specialized crumple zone. Um, and it was one of the first ones that had come out with Volvos. So... Yeah, both my parents, um, both my, you know, the the the, the female side, um, they they choose when to go. They don't die, you know. So I guess that's maybe possibly why I just want. Okay, well maybe she's done this, 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 and this, as opposed to like you know someone coming and shooting her in the head or something. Um. So yeah, so I prepared for all of that, and then uh, they're like, no, she shot herself, and that's it. I just lost it. I was just like, what? Like you know. Being in Europe, spending my most of my life in Europe, like the the way Americans exist doesn't really exist in my head. You know, in the UK we have knife crime. In the US there's gun crime. You know, guns over here aren't really that common at all, unless, you know, you're military or something. So um yeah, when they said she she shot herself, I just completely broke down and cried in the middle of the street, which was uh interesting to observe people observing someone being very very emotional and them just kind of being like whoa emotional human being that's <laughs> just like <laughs> just detour um, especially in england i could see that. <laughs> see i i got pulled up for this um and a friend of mine said i i really hate that stereotype i'm like yeah but stereotypes are based on truth yeah. so you know <laughs> yeah. yeah that is a straight truth right there is that stereotypes <laughs> are based on truths in a lot they of ways, yeah.
there again, you know, nuance versus versus grand uh, descriptions. And um, yeah, so I'd crying and, you know, everyone telling me what was going on. And, you know, my my emotional self came out, did what it needed to do. And then my logical self came back into the picture. So like, you know, you were saying at the beginning where you can kind of see this kind of armor. Um, I've I've had it from the age of from being born just my entire childhood and my teenage years, I've always had to kind of like step up on my own two feet and get things done. Cause I learned from a very young age, if I sit and cry about things, nothing gets done. No one comes to my rescue, right? Even if my grandmother's in the kitchen and I'm screaming my brains out in the living room, she's just like, sort yourself out. And I'm just like, oh, okay, fine. Like I fell over and got a scratch on my knee and like, I need some attention, but I'll just go into the bathroom and like put some iodine on my knee and like rinse it with water because you know, that's what my parents would do anyway. So I learned. Um, and that's what I did with, with my mother's passing. Um, I called my uncle first and exactly the same thing happened. He screamed down the phone. And the one thing that happens with suicide bereavement or suicide when you're on the other side, when you're still alive after someone's dead is the question why pops up everywhere all the time. And not even just um, from you in your own head either. No, but that's the thing. Like I knew why. As someone who has attempted suicide three times, I knew exactly why, because it kind of boils down to the pain of existing is so much greater than the pain of not existing, you know, and we are, we're, we're, for the most part as humans, we are kind of pain avoidant, right? So if existing, if your life sucks that much and there's just absolutely no way out and with suicide, it's not emotional, it's very, very rational, very, very logical right? The way it happens. Cause you're just like, well, everything's shit and this sucks and I can't do this. And I've been trying to do this, but it's just not working. And I'm really miserable. And like, you know, I'm making it sound light, but it's way darker than this, but you know, just going through all of that and you're just like, I, I should just end it. Like no one cares. Like, look, I'm, I'm sat here on my own in my living room. Like if I just shot myself in the head, like no one will give a shit. You know, that's kind of, the, the conversation can be different for everybody. Um, that's my conversation. All right. And, uh, thankfully this year I, I only had one and, uh, a friend would called me like five minutes later and she's just like, what's up dickhead? I'm just like, hi, Hey, what's going on? <laughs> um, you know, and that's one thing I learned from my mom's uh, bereavement is, is try and avoid being an Island, you know, as awkward as it is. Um, is that a self-created yeah, Island? Well, yeah, it's, it's an island of, of pride and, um, when you're a strong person and people see you as a strong person and people put you on this pedestal of strength and everything, and they say you have this resplendent armor and da, 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 and all this jazz, and you have to kind of keep up appearances. You're not allowed, or you feel like you're not allowed to be tired you know, to be exhausted, to not want to do anything, to just want to sit at home and eat Doritos for like two weeks. Like, you know, you're not allowed to be weak. And that is actually what fucks you up even more so, you know. Um, so to you, so then, then you just isolate a yourself. Really deep question. Go on. Those that commit suicide, do you feel that sometimes to them, it's actually a show of strength? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because that's, you know, that's actually what my mother wrote on her suicide note. You know, she wrote, um, she wrote, to those of you who think that suicide is the easiest way out, just know that it isn't, you know? So it, it's not, it's not, a, it's not like you just flippantly just go, Hey, I'm going to go. Um, it's a very, 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 very calculated way to go. Um, so yeah, I, I, I still have that note somewhere. I think I haven't even thought about it in a year. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely not, it's not a flippant thing. Um, and I feel if people can just be more comfortable with the idea of someone not succeeding at suicide, but being comfortable enough to tell you like, Hey, I had suicidal thoughts yesterday, you know, and you're not kind of going, how are you now? Are you okay? Like, you know, if you kind of, if you exude that, that person's just gonna be like, Oh, well, let me not burden you with my issues. I'm sorry. Like, let's, let's go do something fun. Now that's, that's, that's part of the, the need to kind of just like, just make things, I don't know, normalize it. So someone's like, oh, I had suicidal thoughts yesterday. Oh, tell me about it. 
you know, and genuinely be like, you know, tell me, tell me about, tell me what happened. Yeah. Saying um, there's no island. I'm, I'm right here. I'm right in front. Just like your friend calling you five minutes later. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I have, um, I've, I've met, I've told everyone, um, I used, we're going all over the place here. Uh, I used Instagram actually when I was out there as a way for me to get my thoughts out of my head, to let people know how I am, but for it to also be fleeting. Um, because, you know, doing an actual post or something is there forever. And I'm like, I'm not really ready for that right now. I just need to kind of talk to people. And it worked because, you know, I had people in my IG inbox kind of just sending me messages or sending me stupid memes or silly gifts or whatever, you know. Um, and then some of my other friends who had my phone number would ring me and just be like, I know you hate phone calls, but deal with it. And I'm like, I love you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I do hate phone calls. I really hate them. But at the same time, I appreciate kind of the reason why they're doing that. They're like, I know you hate this thing, but you need a fucking friend right now. Yeah. You know? yeah um, that's great. <laughs> it is. And it, it, it took just realizing what being an island looks like and what happens when you are truly an island and you go, and then there's this vacuum, this void that chaos ensues, which was my whole experience. So, you know, crying there, telling my uncle what was going on, him crying, and then him going into his logical brain, like, okay, what do you need me to do? Da, 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 da. And that whole process, um, a lot of people wanted to come with me and I'm just like, I do not need to mother anybody right now. I've got my own freaking emotions I need to deal with. I'm going to go to the States. I'm going to go do X, Y, Z. When I come to Kenya, because this is a, a, a tri-continental, yeah, tri-continental crusade. Right. Yeah, Cause I'm yeah. in the UK. I have to go to the U S to go uh, get my mother, um, to cremate her. Cause that was her request. And then to bring her to Kenya. Right. And get her buried on a family farm. Um, cause we have one of those, we have a farm and, and that's where we have a, a, a cemetery on the farm as well, mm. where everyone goes, everyone goes home basically. Um, so my uncle and, and, and other relatives were like, Hey, do you, do you need us to come and everything? And I'm like, mm, no, I, I know what you're like. I know your mannerisms. I love you, but no, I, I can't deal with that right now. I can deal with myself. Um, but that's, that's that. So, uh, everyone kind of was like, okay, they were pushing a little bit, but I just told everyone to back off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, was that still creating the island for you in that it moment? It was, it was because, um, I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't need someone outside of my head going, Oh, what do you want me to do now? Like, bitch, I don't know. Like, <laughs> were you asking me the questions? There's no field manual. Like I kept on saying that just like, you know, funny posts on, on, on social media. Like I really wish there was a, a field manual for this. Cause I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so having someone physically with me kind of going, Hey, what do you need me to do? I'm just like, I don't know, research, because that's what I'm doing. You know, literally every morning just sat there, just kind of looking at, okay, what else do I need to do? Oh, I need to go get the body. Okay. So I need to, where, where is the body? Like, you know, all these kind of things, you don't realize what needs to be done. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I went on my own. Um, my partner at the time was a shithead. <laughs> like, so, so here's the thing right i i know i'm a little bit different in that when everything happened and in, and in the two weeks kind of running up to it i knew what i needed emotionally you know and i asked it from my partner i'm just like i know you want to ask me questions and do all these things but when i get home i just want to sit next to you and be quiet like we can just read our own books and just sit next to each other and just do that is is that okay you know, that's what I need. This is, I'm telling you in simple words, this is what I need. Yeah. No like, oh, I don't feel like I'm just doing proximity. Does a exactly. lot. Yeah. You know, or just a hug or a cuddle yeah. or something, just no words, you know? And he was just like, oh, well, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. And I'm like, for who? Man, it's like, it's the me show right now. <laughs> well you're right because that is based out of his need right because i mean yeah. that, that that is masculine energy too is saying i want to help fix it you know, so, here's how you fix it by shutting the hell up and sitting next to me <laughs> i have masculine energy don't don't worry about that like <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> you know, but, and I, I did say that out of frustration because like we actually had an argument about it and I'm just like, it's the me show right now and I need you to shut the hell up and sit next to me. It's like, well, I can't do that. I'm just like, oh, fine. 
fine. <laughs> Go sit in the next room. I don't want you here. Um, yeah, he's an ex for a reason. So um, I went over, you know, and and dealt with with uh, my mother. Got her cremated, um, which was weird because it was over. Uh, what's the holiday you guys have? Labor? No, Labor not Day. Labor Day. Labor Day. Yeah, there's yeah. Labor Day. Yeah, because it it was in May. That's so the funniest have... thing to me too, because it's Labor Day and we're celebrating the ability to work, but yet we take the day off. It was... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, the irony. I, sure. I like it. It's cute. You know. It hey, works, I work on Labor off. Day. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, well, I clearly did too, and, and you know, the crematorium's like, oh, your your mom's not going to be cremated on Sunday. Um, she's going to be done on Monday. I'm like, so y'all are going to go out for a barbecue, but you can't barbecue my mom. What the hell? And they're just like, (laughs) (laughs) coping mechanism. I'm just putting it out there. I have dark humor and these are my coping mechanisms. Okay. I love it. (laughs) That's important though, isn't it? Because everyone needs to lean on that in these times, you know, because when my dad died, there was always coping mechanisms that I had. And my coping mechanism wasn't dark humor. It was just diving headfirst into something else that I felt productive at. Yep. And I just keep rolling that way. When any adversity or any tragedy in my life happens, I just dive into things that I know I can control. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and I suppose if like control is really important and it is something that, you know, throughout my childhood, I can control myself. You know, a lot of people take a lot of time realizing this, but the only thing you can really control is yourself, you know, and how you react to things. So dark humor for me is my form of control because I know <laughs> being a little bit edgy around people, making them feel uncomfortable makes me feel uncomfortable, makes me feel comfortable. Right. Cause I know I'm saying something that's a little bit wrong, but I'm laughing. So it's okay. But they don't know if it's okay to laugh or not. And I'm just like, ah, oh, okay, cool. Fine. And that's the I've best part for you. Is that reaction yeah. out of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people took it on board. I'm just like, okay, you're just as weird and, and messed up as I am. Okay, yeah. that's cool. I, I like you. You you die last. Um, did your mom, here's a question that's running around in my head. Mm-hmm. Did your mom know what she was asking you to do? Or do you feel that she, she knew that you would have to do this no, three continent she, crusade? She didn't acknowledge my existence at all. Uh, on the suicide note, it wrote to whom it may concern. So, uh, like when I read that, I was like, you're a dick, (laughs) you know, just like of all the things, like all the people you could acknowledge, like you left, you know, your son here who had his hand on the door when you shot yourself because the police were in the flat in the apartment, um, when she actually committed the suicide and my brother's hand was on the freaking door of her locked bedroom when she did it. I'm like the amount of trauma you've left behind (laughs) you could at least like you know acknowledge that i'm gonna come and pick you up you know but i uh, is what it is like my my mom um has her weird ways of of uh subversively controlling situations (laughs) uh manipulating situations i suppose um but i saw it and i was angry for about five minutes and then i was like whatever man i need to get you home like, you know, it is what it is. Like our relationship was messed up for a long time and I accepted it. Um, so yeah, I, I did my duties, um, got her cremated, uh, picking her up was interesting. Cause I'm like, wow, my mom's in a box. It's the most silent I have seen her in a while. And the secretary was just like, are you okay? I'm like, no, my mom's in a freaking box on the table and I have to put her in my backpack. <laughs> Bit weird. And they were just like, they didn't know what to say. And I didn't know what to say. So I just kept on saying weird stuff, just more weird kind of like, yep, yep. She's really quiet because she's locked up in a box, uh, a little bit dry, you know, but uh, they're like, just literally just, just a stream of just absolute nonsense yeah. was coming out of my mouth as a coping mechanism. And then a director comes in, he's like, oh, I've got these papers for you to sign, but thank God. Okay. <laughs> I, I hate sitting here in silence. I need to get out of here. Yeah, no kidding. Um, was one of and your attempts around the same time after this happened? Um, I, I did not allow myself to have the option or ability. Um, How to did you suicide do that? Or, I weirdly before that I actually because I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Right, I do a lot of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Badass. And thank you. <laughs> um, it's just I've done martial arts from the age of of 
six basically my parents put me into it because i've got way too much energy so they're just like you need to burn it off um and martial arts was something that i could stick to and um before all of this happened in march i booked myself into my first competition in brazilian jiu-jitsu and that competition was in june um so i had a month of dealing with my mom um and her stuff and you know kind of uh going over uh, and then when I came back, you know, I still had a boyfriend, but he, I, I just ignored him for the most part because he had to go and do his own thing. But I had my competition and I had to train. I had two weeks of training. So a month off, but two weeks until my very first Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competition. So I was just at the academy every day, sometimes twice a day, you know, just, just rolling and just, just learning and just not focusing on it. And not many people at the academy knew um, what I went to. Some of the, some of the ladies did. And, and, you know, we kind of looked after, well, they looked after me. I didn't look after them. I did look after them, but you know, it was, it was a support circle. And, and that was my first step into accepting that, you know, um, I have to let people in. All right. And I let them in through Instagram stories. So I can't be like, Oh no, 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 that doesn't count. Like, no, they know what's going on and they want to support me. So, um, they kick my ass. I kick their ass. It was great. Um, and then the competition was my focus. Like I just literally came back and just focused on the competition. Didn't allow myself to kind of, you know, sit with anything. Um, after the competition, I just carried on just being around people. Um, and one friend of mine, Charlotte, she kind of wouldn't let me be alone. And she, there's this thing where like, I'm going to go see her, um, over the weekend. And she's like, you have to come. And I'm like, I don't want to come. She's like, you have to come. I'm like, I don't want to come. I will come and pick you up. Okay. I'll come. You know, like just that, that having someone else who's equally tenacious, um, is good to have. And she's had, you know, an equally difficult kind of childhood and third culture kid existence. So, um, it's when you have people who see you without needing the whole explanation of your entire background, it makes things a lot easier. Wow. Yeah. Out of all this tragedy that you've had, what do you think that your greatest triumph is? Um, I think being Where's all the light able, with the dark? Being able to see what happened, understanding why it happened because of my own past ex experiences and just literally trying to normalize, you know, the bereavement experience, but also normalize kind of the ideas of thinking how to talk about suicide bereavement, talk about, you know, death and how people plan killing themselves, you know, because one thing I, I, I find a little bit upsetting is, is again, it's a selfish ploy, but like people need to kind of understand this. If someone says, oh, I was planning on, I was planning on slitting my wrists, but then I did my research and I realized slitting my wrists wasn't a really good idea. So I was looking at pills and alcohol, like, you know, people saying stuff like that and someone else going, oh, mate, can we, can we not talk about this? It's a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit dark. You know, I, I don't really want to talk about death. That's a problem. That is one of the bigger problems. I understand it's not for everybody. I understand it's really, really triggering for a lot of people, but there's equally a lot of people who can shoulder those conversations and not even need to shoulder it. Like you don't need to put anything on. It's just like someone's talking, just like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, why, why have you looked at these things? And is there something else you want to talk about? Like I, I see and I appreciate and I love that you're telling me these things. And by the way, pills suck. They taste disgusting and you just have to get your stomach pumped out anyway. Um, and then you're just like in the hospital and no one wants to be in the hospital right now. Um, but what else is going on in your life? Like, you know, are you feeling sad? Is what sucks? Like, let's talk about what sucks. Like death sucks, but what sucks in your life right now is even worse. So let's talk about that. Just, just some, you know, kind of, helping people have those kind of conversations, um, is, is the light out of everything. Um, is it recognizing and, more of the logical conversation versus the emotional conversation is the real kind of yeah. red flag? Yeah, it is. Um, and it, it's the logical conversation in people who are on the other side, you know, people who are not feeling suicidal by their friend who is feeling suicidal or has had dark dog days which is a term I use with a couple of other friends who are also, you know, susceptible to suicidal days. We have that things like, oh, I had a dog dog day this week. Like, oh yeah, how was it? You know, just making it so normal. Um, I think that's kind of the light that's come out of it all. Um, and just understanding like it can happen. And I want to try and help as many people kind of at least pad it, soften it and reduce it from happening. Wow. 
rewinding, knowing what you know right now. I don't need, a t I don't know. I'm not even going to ask this questions because I was going to say, you know, what would you tell your younger self? But I mean, thinking back, it's like, would you really do anything differently? Because I feel that lives are like a culmination of our experiences, the tragedies, the triumphs. Mm. And coming through those is really the thing. If you change that, when you go back to your younger self, I mean, sure, everybody asks me the same question all the time. You know, what would you tell yourself 10 years ago, you know, that, that you know right now? And it's like, I don't know, because would I be robbing myself of the experience that has formed who I am today? Because would I be in a position now that I wouldn't necessarily want to be in if I could just tell myself, oh, avoid this risk or avoid mm. this tragedy? How do you feel about that? I think, I think like you're, you're right, you know, the, all the adversity that I've had to deal with, I, I don't feel like it's a lot, by the way. Like my life, I'm just like, yeah, that's normal. And then every time I talk to other people, I'm just like, oh, no, it's not. No, it's not normal at all. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, like, I don't know, like everything that I've been through has made me who I am now. Um, I'm actually a way more chilled out version of myself than when I was in my 20s. Uh, so whatever, well, all the various things that happened in my 20s, <laughs> I am thankful for because I was a dickhead in my 20s. But I think it was just lashing out from um, just parental uh, disruption, you know, like a balanced life disruption. Um, but I would say, like, value your friends, um, but really, really lean into who you are. If you're a little bit weird, if you've got dark humor, if you say the weirdest shit in a, in, in a, uh, a room, like, focus on the people who look at you and grin right back at you because they're your people right because i used to i used to just say random stuff like sometimes i just i just don't care about you know formal formalities or whatever i'm just like i really need a fucking drink like in a in a conference or whatever and everyone's like you know oh you can't say that and i always used to panic i'm like oh shit i shouldn't have said that out loud like uh okay but now i'll but then say there's the it. one or two people that are there that you see they're yeah. like yeah bang on <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's 10 o'clock in the morning and you go have a gin and tonic. Like I'm not an alcoholic, by the way. It's just, you know, um, yeah. Now I go to conferences where that's like, if you want to go have a gin and tonic at 10 o'clock in the morning, um, go on your head, be it right. You yeah. still have like a whole afternoon of conferences to go through. So <laughs> <For like sure. laughs> manage yourself. I get the looks too, where it's like, man, I could really use a scotch at lunch today. Just <laughs> this morning has been... It's easy. It's yeah. easy. So you I find think your people just, like, I'm with you. Let's go. Yeah. Find your people early on and don't be afraid of letting go of people that don't really suit where you are at the moment. You know, um, me and my mom, we drifted apart because I was standing on my own feet and she didn't like that. Right. She was my mother. I am still your mother. Like you're never too old for me to bend you over my knee and spank you. And I was like, I've done security work, physical security work for 15 years. I don't think that's a good idea. You know, like someone to bend me over their knee and spank me. I'm like, I will put you in the headlock before you even know what's going on. Please don't touch me. Um, just, yeah, find your people and bring them in and like, let go of people that don't, that, that aren't serving you. Like what, if you go to someone who's like, oh, I have to hang out with this person. You should never have someone like that in your life, really. Like if they're a business person, keep it professional. Don't go have a drink with them. But, you know, if you have a professional life and you wouldn't even go have a drink with them, it's like, mm -hmm. so yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what I think is important. Just understanding yourself and being confident enough to say no. Yeah. Outside of guesting on podcasts, where, where else do you get your message out? Because this has been amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've gone an hour and it's just incredible. Yeah. I hope it's helped I'm, you too, because I, I mean, in, in this, it's just amazing to hear you speak about these things. And it has, it has, I have to say, I, I don't know where you guys are popping up, um, this, <laughs> this late in the year, but like you and I think three other people, I, uh, shows that I've guested on have just asked like one or two slightly different questions. And I'm just like, oh. Ooh, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't thought about that. That's, that's, that's different, you know? And, and, and I like it because there's so many areas I know I don't know, yeah. but 
when you ask those questions, like, you know, your question of asking me, why did I think of suicide first with my mother? And I'm like, damn, what? Mm, I don't know. And, you know, it like, it, it gave me the opportunity to explore that. I'm sorry, there's a cricket outside. Someone's <laughs> ringing my door. That's a big ass cricket. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, I, no one ever rings my house. It's really yeah. weird, but, um, <laughs> that's great. I thought I disconnected it. Apparently not. Sorry. No, you're um, good. Let's point people to you. Can we? Yeah. Instagram. So I'm Instagram, Elshig. So E-L-S-H-I-G, uh, Twitter, Elshig, E-L-S-H-I-G, uh, Facebook, Shigamus. So S H I G G I M U S, um, just cause, and, and my website, podcast, which right? I, my podcast getting shiggy with, mm-hmm. um, which a new, a new episode is coming up in the next, well, in December, we're in December. Crap. Okay. It's, it's coming. There's another episode coming out, um, which weirdly enough talks about family, like your chosen families, the, the, the new episode I'm going to bring out cause I'm, I'm back. Um, and, and that's everywhere. And then shiggy.co.uk, uh, which is my personal website, which I build and sometimes break and then rebuild. Uh, but that's where everything is. So that's that's where you can find me. Shiggy, thank you. You've really given me a lot of insight today. Thank you for asking that's some uh, different questions. <laughs> Good. <laughs> we'll just keep it rolling. What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me. 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan and I approve this message.